Hi, this is John Hall. And this is Kathy Emmons. And we're from 101.5 Word FM. And you've just fallen into the Theology Theology Pit. Pit. Hey everyone, welcome to The Theology Pit. This is Theology out of Pittsburgh, and not to be confused with a bottomless pit, because you know what we say here in The Theology Pit, when you fall into a bottomless pit, you die of dehydration. I am, of course, your friendly neighborhood host, podcast seminarian, Samson Kovach, and we have a special topic today with a special guest. We are going to be talking about H-E-C-K. That's right. Heck, we are going to be talking about, because, as you know... To segue this in really nicely, heck was made for the devil. And if you have the devil and you take off that D, you're left with evil. And when you take off the E, it is vile. And when you have something that is vile and you drop that V, it makes you ill. And when you drop off that I, you are left with nothing but L. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about L. We're going to talk about hell. And I am here with Brother James from my seminary, who is studying to be a monk. Now, as I know what you're thinking, I know what you're thinking. Am I, am I, was I right about that? You're you, not, it, no, not really, no, but no. Okay. Well, I'll let you finish. Is there some type of monkish thing that you are doing? I am a Benedictine right now. Okay. Um, are not you, training for it, but I am training for the priesthood. Okay. So. so there's no monkish type things that you're doing. No, there are monkish type things okay. that I'm doing. Yeah. Daily prayers and, uh, and dress funny when you feel like it I on dress Wednesday. funny when I feel like it on Wednesday. You know, it's 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 a selective monkism. <laughs> okay, <laughs> a selective monkism. Nice, nice. All right, so um, brother James and I are, and when I say brother James, I want you to know he's Anglo Catholic. He is not Pentecostal. This is not Pentecostal monk stuff, right? Yeah, I was kind of confused by the Pentecostal part there. Okay. Yeah. I've been part of charismatic <laughs> churches, and everyone's there, brother or sister. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I grew up older, and then their mother or. I grew up independent from a Baptist, so okay, that, brother that's is still, very right. comfortable for me anyway. So. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, and, and we're in class together, uh, in some class, a couple, couple classes together. I think we have at least two, yeah, maybe yeah, three. I know two. Yeah. Or you're in um, Mis- missions. Yeah, you're in missions. You're in history, and are you in New Testament? You're in. Yeah, we're in New okay, Testament. So, so we got three. three. We got three classes together. Yep. So you wouldn't even know. We have no idea, you know. We've been, you know, we, we our we, brains are fried right now. That's about it. We got so. three weeks left, and this is fun. But we talk about th- the fun thing about seminaries. You're exposed to all different kinds of people and different theologies, and um, yeah, just different takes. And you know, I wanted to kind of pull you on here because you had a really interesting one, and this is something where you've expressed it, and part of it sort of sounds very Catholic, but the other part of it sounds very heretical. And for some people. Those would be the same thing, heretical for both of them. But we're not going to call you a heretic yet. Well, thank you. Okay, we all know people know listening to this that I'm the I'm the resident heretic on this podcast. Ah, okay. so you know, but um, but you have this um, this understanding of hell, and I've never talked about hellology basically on on this podcast. It's just nothing I've ever kind mm. of gone into. Um, it's not my favorite doctrine to really discuss. But there are um, different understandings of what happens to people who have not been redeemed by Christ after they set foot out of this world mm-hmm. and into the next. Um, I would say that the and, and uh, you may agree with me the um, the stereotype that's out there when people think of okay, what does a Christian think about about when hell? A, yeah, when mm-hmm. a non-believer dies, they go into a lake of fire. Mm-hmm. You know. If you're worried about most folks, which go is an odd die. concept, they go. They don't go to heaven where the angels yeah. fly. They go to a lake of fire and fry. Mm-hmm. See them again until the Fourth of July. So, oh, um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but that's that's the image that people have. That mm-hmm. okay, well, if you're not a Christian, Christians believe that then you just go and you're you're burning in a lake of fire and brimstone, and that's it. But you said to me, "Hang on, there's this thing called annihilationism." Did annihilationism, just annihilation. No, no. Annihilation-ism. Okay. Right. I tend to prefer uh, conditional immortality or conditionalism because it's easier to say. That's the only reason why. Okay, great. And then you'll get to define what all of those words are here That's on, fine. on the theology pit because we're a lot of education as well as good, good, know, good. Um, is doing that. So when you talk through, it's like you can um, use seminarian talk, mm-hmm. just define it when you're done or before you do and, and mm. just just you know, talk through that. So... Um, 
from from the point that I've always held to is that if um, someone steps out of this world uh, without Christ, then they have gone into spiritually something that is sort of like outer darkness. It's just alone. At the resurrection, when they get their bodies back, then that is when they're finally judged, and then that is where they are thrown into the lake of fire. Um, traditionally, eternally tormented. Okay, and well, so and and that's mm-hmm. I mean I'm just saying that's what I've uh-huh. you know gathered mm-hmm. from that, and I haven't done extensive study in it because not my favorite topic. Yeah. Um. So, is that similar to? Have you? I mean, I don't. I don't assume you've always held this view. No. Growing no, up with a Baptist no. background. So, what was your initial stance, and then, you know, why did you why did you gravitate towards this one? Um. Should I give a bit of a story with that? Yeah, if you'd like All to. right. So I grew up independent, fundamental, feet stopping, door knocking, King James only Baptist. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, part of our upbringing as children was uh, we had neighborhood Bible time, which is the fundamentalist version of uh, vacation Bible school. And they had a very specific sort of formula. Uh, no matter who the person was who was leading neighborhood Bible time during the summer, um, at the very end of the last one, they would give this incredibly freaky description of hell uh, and and really emphasize the torture part of it. And uh, it's sort of a way to scare us into becoming Christians if we weren't. So they would say torture, not torment. Torture or torment. They like. Okay. Uh, I think it was interchangeable. Okay, I, I, interchangeable. I don't remember the specific language that was used, but it's hard to claim that it wasn't torture because it was, I mean, they would be very vivid. Uh, talking about sort of like your skin burning, but never like, uh, but like that burning never ending, and like it would, you, like your skin cells would regrow and stuff like that. Just very all John sorts of Tetzel. things. Yes, yes, uh, just very, very much a sort of you know scare you out of scare the hell out of you. No pun in, or pun intended or not, whichever way you want to take it. <laughs> um, so uh, my whole thing has been. That uh, when uh, later on in uh, my first year or two of uh, of uh, college, I started really questioning the faith. And one of the reasons I started questioning the faith, just to lay my cards out, was this idea of how I was brought up with this idea that uh, in uh, God is uh, as punishment for sin is not is going to just torture people for all eternity. And I was like, I I can't reconcile that. And that's part of what caused me to tend away from the faith. And then I did some studying and I realized, oh, there's this other view out here where it's actually, uh, and we'll get to it later, but you know, annihilationism, conditionalism, and the idea in a nutshell is that uh, the wages of sin is death, not torture, so that the wicked are killed and they are deprived of eternal life. And I was like, oh, that makes much more sense. It is just, but it's not this sort of... Um, really cruel um, overreaction, in my, at least in my view. Of, and how are of, you understanding death? How are you, How is that being defined? Uh, death is the cessation of all life. Okay. Hmm. Um, can I push back on that definition yeah, a little bit? Sure. All right. Okay. Um, so did Christ die on the cross? Yes. So you would say that Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, ceased being. I didn't say cease being. Okay, well, you're saying secession of all life. Of life, not being, though. Okay, so you're defining life as um, corporeal? Or, I mean, because are, are there people alive in heaven right now? Uh, that's a different question for uh, that we can get into. Well, the, I would I mean, say that not necessarily people are in heaven. Okay, not necessarily. Well, would, you, would you say that the saints who have died before us are alive or not? Uh, yes, because they have been given eternal life. Okay. So they have been given eternal life mm-hmm. and those who have died have not been given eternal life. So the way that you're defining death is for someone to die is for them to not have eternal life. Yes. Okay. So then Christians don't die. Um, in one sense, in the body. Okay. Um, is it... Uh, yeah, so for instance, Matthew 10, 28, fear not those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, rather fear those who can kill the body, fear the one who can kill the body and soul. So there's this distinction between the killing of the body and the killing of the soul. Okay. Um, but you are saying that even though there's a distinction, death encompasses both. 
ultimately for if yeah. uh, if what, as the ultimate punishment. Yeah, yes. I mean, where, where I'm getting stuck here is that mm-hmm. you, you seem to be using one word with two different terms. In with, a sense, with, yes, yeah. but I'm being, I think I'm being consistent with scripture. Well, in I'm that. not saying yeah. that you're being inconsistent. I'm okay. just saying that the language that you're using is falling short of the ideas that you're putting forth. How so? Um, when you say that death means this and death means that, you're using the same word, but depending on who is dying, mm-hmm. it has a different meaning. Um, well, yeah, but I, I don't see, I, I could you clarify the problem? Yeah, for example, yeah. if death is, um, the cessation of life, uh-huh. okay, then Christians never experience death. Well, we do in the body, in the body, but not so, in the soul. Okay. So then you would say that there is death mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. for the Christian and death to the second power for the unbeliever. Yes. And now I'm sort of agnostic on that death to the second power when it, exactly it happens. Okay. Um, it but might I, happen. Just to get our terms straight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what did Christ experience on the cross? Um, Christ experienced certainly death in the body, but um, uh, um, to, to claim that the uh, the second person of the Trinity died that's a very difficult thing. And I think that's, that might be a question that's a bit over our heads. Well, I or, mean, unless you have a position on that. No, we would, I mean, we would have to make the show into a Trinitarian yeah. understanding and, and I, I don't want to go there. I just want mm-hmm. to go to if Christ is God, mm. if he is the son of God, however, we're understanding that hopefully in a nice Orthodox way. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, if, if he is, we would say, you know, fully, fully human, fully divine. Yes. You know, fully God, um, fully man. Yeah. And, and so because of that, he actually would have to experience death, not pretending to die, not a lesser death than what mm-hmm. any of us would go through because he is our representative. Mm-hmm. And so he would have to go through. So what, however we're using the word death mm-hmm. for us, then we would have to use it for him. And that's why I wanted you to clarify between uh, the two different understandings of death. If Okay. So in response to that, would you say, are, are you looking at this from a sort of penal substitution view no, where we're not, it's we're not really going into the the soteriology of it i'm just i'm just okay right now i'm just getting into the terminology okay so when we so when we talk about mm. um you know what happens at let, let's say like you know the resurrection mm. or the great white throne judgment like what's exactly going on mm. and when we talk about um you know annihilationism mm. what is it what exactly is being annihilated mm. Th- those so i just want to make sure that our terms are right because uh-huh. if we start saying well you know they died so they cease being but you know but when things well, die, that's why I'm, that's why I'm very and particular that's... about cessation of life, not cessation of being. Okay. Like, there is an important distinction there. Okay. Um, it's not like we are saying that the, uh, all the atoms of a human being are just vanished. Uh, if you look at the last pass, uh, the last chapter of Isaiah, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, it's an eschatological passage and it shows the corpses of the wicked just being thrown on a pot, uh, on a pot, like in a pile. Yeah. And eschatology and, is the study of the end times. Yes. Sorry. Um, if I need, yeah, clarify things if I need to. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's an, an important vision for us to look at where we're looking at carcasses that are just sort of thrown on a pile and that is the fate of the wicked. And I, I take that in a pretty relatively literal sense, okay. you know? Um, and another thing is I, I, I do think that, um, I don't know if you're, you were bringing up the, the death of Christ part as a problem because I, the, I've come across that as uh, a supposed problem against conditionalism. The idea, I didn't know if you're bringing that no, up. No, no, I was just bringing okay. that up because people are going to think, well, wait a minute, if death is the stoppage of all life, uh-huh. and that's why I wanted to bring that back and say, no, 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 because we can't say that because Christ yeah, never and, stopped. And that's why I wanted to, uh-huh. do okay, that's cool. why I'm glad we have now these two different definitions okay. to, 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 to bring back, to go back on that because I've had people bring that up to me as a, as like a problem for conditionalism and my you define res- conditionalism, uh, since you brought it up numerous times. <laughs> well, it is annihilationism what I've been talking about, okay, but, uh, conditionalism, annihilationism is the belief that, uh, eternal life is conditioned upon faith uh, that, uh, only the righteous will receive eternal life. Um, Whereas the wicked will not receive eternal life. And we would define, we would define like, we find it problematic to say that the person who is being given eternal life, but eternal life uh, in a torturous or tormented state, like that's still eternal life. You know, it's a pretty bad one, but it's still eternal life. Okay. Um, but 
to go with the uh, the idea of like, well, and you're not arguing this, but some people have. So I just no, put no, it on go, the table. Go, in, yeah. go into that area. Like, I mean, yeah. um, some people will claim, well, if uh, if Christ in his in his uh, if Christ didn't fully experience death in the sense of uh, like the second person of the Trinity dying. Um, then how could he have atoned for our sins? And my response to that is, well, not, none of us believe that, you know, suppose I was a, you know, eternal conscious torment person. I don't, and no one else believes that Jesus Christ is eternally being tormented, which is the fate of, of the wicked. So th- if that is a problem, it's a problem for either side. Does that make sense? Or Yeah. Cause, okay. cause the, what they're postulating to you is that, you know, Jesus had to experience, Exactly. Uh, every what, single yeah. thing that everybody would ever experience ever. And if he didn't experience that, then it doesn't include mm-hmm. those people. For example, um, Jesus would not ever have experienced the pain of childbirth. Therefore, he cannot relate. Yeah. Therefore, he has no idea what pain is. Like, type, I mean, it's, uh, I understand that's kind of a bad you know, an analogy, yeah. <sighs> but it gets to the point of just because it wasn't exactly the same type of pain yeah. doesn't mean he never experienced pain. Well, it, it's even further than that because it, the idea is like this idea of, well, the punishment for sin is death. And if Christ in his, in the second person of the Trinity didn't experience death, mm-hmm. then, well, then he didn't die for our sins. He didn't atone he, he, like that. He, that, that wasn't an atonement for our sins, but that problem I think is just universal. If we're going with this, if we think it's a problem, which I don't think it's a problem, um, because I mean, Christ wasn't eternally tormented. It was three days. Uh, if, and he, we don't believe he was tormented at that point. Although I've come across people who believe that, uh, Jesus was tormented and tortured for three days in hell. Um, (laughs) which is a very, um, I think Joyce Myers actually proposes that and oh. then and that if you don't believe that and I saw you have a lot of Joyce Myers books I know I'm gonna I have mean, to throw all those away now I yeah I, I better re- the power of you or whatever they're called yeah. <laughs> she but, and um, Osteen yeah Just two of my oh favorites. boy those are two people that I love giving my money to such theologians um so okay so go so go on mm. with this now you you went from this this place uh when you were younger of mm. understanding hell to be this, this, this tournament. And, and then you, you, you looked into it because you were, you were really pushing back on this. Now I've always said to myself, you know, I'm kind of a closet universalist. I, I, I hope that I'm wrong and people don't spend eternity in hell type thing. So I can understand, I can, I can uh, sympathize with you uh-huh. like on that. And so, so take us from that, that point you, you were an unbeliever and you okay. started wrestling with this. Well, real quick to address what you just said. I believe every, I, I believe it is heresy to not be a hopeful universalist. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, now, I don't believe in universalism, but yeah. I am a hopeful universalist. Yeah. Well, I think um, once you understand how awful hell is, how mm-hmm. can you hope well, any other way? I, I think, uh, well, there's that side, but I think the of the other side of the joy of being um, in eternal communion with, with God. You know, I think that looking at it from like the positive side. Okay. Um, so uh, I, and I, I really want to stress that... Uh, so I, I, I'm honest that, you know, this this desire of wanting to maintain a Christian faith, um, but still trying to reconcile this eternal torment part um, was a, a big factor in me going through this whole journey. I, I don't think it's wrong, obviously, because of that, but I, I just to be honest and everything. Yep. So I did a lot of studying. Um, now, were you, were you studying, and I'm, I'm just going to kind of get into your mind here. And okay. Did, were you studying to prove your your presuppositions true, or were you just saying, were you able to say, like, look, if I study this and it mm. does turn out to be what they taught me growing up, I'm still going to bend my knee to it? No. What I was going to do is this. Um, if I... Um, if I find this to not be true, I would probably leave the, to be, to be the, if I found eternal conscious torment to be the case, I probably would have left the faith. Okay. Um, and because I couldn't reconcile that with anything. Um, and like I had plenty of reasons to want to leave the faith anyway, because just, you know, my growing up and all that stuff. Um, and so I went into studying this but like the way I did, the way I do any sort of studying on, on any sort of theological matter is I sort of like do this sort of dialectic within myself. I, I study as 
as much as I can on one side and I study as much as I can on the other side. That's why one of the things I really love is watching debates. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I, I want to be intellectually honest with myself. I don't want to ever believe something because I want to. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I'm very, very strong on. If I can give an example that's not related to this uh, other than tangentially. I grew up being Baptist, very much against the idea of real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. I did not ever want to believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. But then I started studying it and doing that sort of dialectic and talking with my Roman Catholic friends, Eastern Orthodox, Lutherans, Anglicans, when I was still Baptist. And I just came to the conclusion, like, I have to believe this. And I didn't want to believe it. I hated it. I found it disgusting. But then... I'm like, well, if if I'm if I am submitted to the faith and I believe this is what the faith teaches, then I have to submit to this as well. So what so. if you what if you talk to somebody and they said, you know what, I really don't believe in the real presence. I don't believe in you know even go to the, as far as the transubstantiation with the Roman Catholic, which is what not what you're advocating yeah, for. Yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm saying that. But um, if they said they went that far and they said, you know what. Um, I, I just, I, I don't believe in that. I can't believe in that. And you know what? I'm going to do my studies and I'm going to look at it. And if I find this to be true, then I'm leaving the faith. Well, I mean, that's what people did in John six. I mean, if people leave the faith, they leave the faith. Yes. And that is where we get six, six, six from. That's true. Cause that was John chapter six. I remember verse hearing 66. that. And what's funny is <laughs> that's bad hermeneutics. <laughs> oh Lord. I, I grew up with that passage uh-huh. but we never studied the verses before that yeah no, no <laughs> it was no. just like but this but, passage is the ma- is the passage of man but i would i would find that to be a very problematic methodology for someone to have to say that listen i have this this preconceived notion of what communion is mm. and if i if i do my studies and if i if i find it to be biblically and logically confirming mm-hmm. that actually the real presence of christ is there um, I just, I, I just can't deal with that and I'm leaving the faith. Oh, just to be clear, I'm not advocating like my mindset at the time of the annihilation study. Okay. Yeah. No, no. I'm not saying that it was a good mindset. I'm just being yeah, honest. Yeah. Yeah. I, you're, I was trying, I was trying, I thought I was being clear yeah, with that. No, yeah. No, no. Yeah. I'm just being honest. Well, people believe weird things. I mean, yeah. yeah. People believe that running around and screaming and rolling on the floor is a great way to do a service. And other people totally. believe that, you know, <laughs> Jesus comes back to earth as crackers every week and we eat them. You know, which one? Not do you as crackers. Want to say? No, 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 not as crackers. <laughs> but as uh, come on, Jesus was a white guy. We all seen the pictures. Oh, totally. So he obviously comes back. Right. He always comes back as a cracker. That's my point. <laughs> all right. So all right. So take it. Take us then into this. So you started. You started digging into this, and you found out about this thing called annihilationism. Mm-hmm. And you're like, hold on a second. Mm-hmm. What's going on here? So mm-hmm. so take us through this doctrine. If you want to go there, or do you want to back up a little bit more? Do you want me to go through the hermeneutics part, or do you want you me just, to go however you would, however you, how I came across like it? Like your the way that you've systematized it in your brain, why okay. it, why it makes sense, and just walk us through it. So I think that um, whether we want to admit it or not, we always start with like the philosophical ground. Um, we we especially a lot of evangelicals like to say they start with scripture. No, you you start by approaching scripture with a philosophical mindset. Of you know, with presupposition. So no, you never start with scripture with a blank slate. That's just impossible. And you have an so, undergrad in philosophy. Yes. Okay. <laughs> just to, just to let people know. Just let people know. No. Um. So I had to deal with like the concept of what is the point of hell? Like, why does God have this place or this state or whatever that is hell? And if it's to rid the universe of sinners, I was realizing, well, he's not ridding the universe of sinners if they're still in a place, even if it's just a little pocket universe and they're still sinning. Because one of the arguments I would always hear, especially among the reformed, is that the people in hell are still sinning. And I'm like, doesn't sound like he's rid the universe of evil. It's just like he's all, he swept it all under the carpet, you know? Um, and I, I've I've actually taught classes on this uh, back at the um, back in Tennessee, where I'll make a triangle where there's universalism, there's annihilationism or conditionalism, and there's eternal conscious torment, and they each all sort of answer questions. Uh, the universalism position says there will be no more evil in the world, um, but what doesn't seem to happen is that. Um, Oh, shoot. 
Oh, I, I, it might not have been a good thing to bring this up because I'm, I'm trying to remember how I, I phrased it all. Um, sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's all right. Uh, but it, it started it, out really good. Thank you. Thank you. you. Know. It, it did start out that, really that beautifully. I was, I was into that. Uh, and then and then you got to I the point where you're like, you know what? Never mind. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, I, I do. Just, <laughs> I don't remember what I'm talking about. <laughs> Very big difference. Uh, if I had my, my notes with me on that, I should have brought it. Oh, well. Um, so Eternal Conscious Torment uh, deals with the problem of like God is having to do something about the sin in the world. And uh, but it doesn't deal with the fact that like he wants to rid the universe of sin. And I think what annihilationism does is that it shows that's what it was. It was justice and um, and uh, ridding the world of of sin. So what I think annihilationism does is that it does justice by punishment and that it also rids the universe of sin. And I, I was like that, that works really neatly. And I looked at scripture. I said, okay, well, I want to go against these passages that I've always been shown, you know, teach eternal Mm -hmm. conscious torment. And I just kept going after passage, after passage, after passage. And it was always death, destruction, um, you know, variations on that, you know, like the, like the chaff being, you know, blown into the wind and all that sort of thing. And it's always like, you know, smoke or whatever, you know, going into nothingness. Um, you, you know, the metaphors being used. And I was like, that doesn't sound like the sort of eternal conscious torment. Um, the only exceptions, and I give that a very qualified exception would be in the book of revelation. But, the book of revelation is not the place to start your grounded hermeneutics on anything pretty much. (laughs) Um, unless you believe that there's literally at one point in history going to be a vampiric whore riding atop a dragon or beast or whatever. Um, are you trying to say there's not? Oh yeah, totally not. Uh, as much as I love vampires, you know, um, dude, I was I was looking forward to a third of the stars being swept up oh, and yeah, sail totally. and whipped down to earth uh, and you know left behind and all that fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, sorry, Wait, sorry. Are you, are you officially saying that like Tim LaHaye was wrong? Oh, I apologize. Are you going on record? How dare as I? <laughs> Blessed Saint Tim LaHaye, <laughs> one of the doctors of the church. <laughs> I know people that have sat there with the Bible and left behind to do stuff. I'm not kidding to do studies. And and that's, and that's the way they did it. It's, it's newspaper eschatology. It's a very uh, interesting way of studying. So next to my father's Bob Dylan albums growing up, I saw an album that said 88 reasons. It was apparently a sermon, 88 reasons why Jesus will come back in 1988. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I missed that. And apparently it already happened, but oh well. Yeah. <laughs> well, but you know what? See, the problem is, is that they didn't multiply it right, because I bet you had to play that at 33 speed. Oh, that's true. That's a And good so point. you have to do the math. Is 33 speed the same as backwards? Because if you do it backwards. No, no, no. The backwards oh. is just backwards. But okay. like, you know, you have, you have like a 33 and a third, like for the I don't record know how records size. work. And, okay. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm not old. <laughs> <laughs> All right, smart Alec. Let me ask you this record question. Okay. On a, a standard size album, a 12 inch. Okay. Okay. A big, big 12 inch record. So 12 inches is standard size. Okay. All right. Well, well, just the, the larger ones, the okay. extended play. Um, how many grooves are on each side? I have no idea. One. It's one long groove. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah. See, so sometimes things aren't as hard as you make them out to be. That's my point here. <laughs> you know, sometimes us old people have wisdom. Yeah, no, right? yeah. Okay. True. All right. So uh, that was a nice rabbit trail that we devolved into. Uh, but let's but let's bring it on back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was looking at passages. Passages uh, one I already brought up Matthew ten twenty eight. Mm-hmm. Fear not the one who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Fear rather the one who can kill the body and soul. Uh, and then just looking, you know, passage after passage, the wages of sin is death, mm-hmm. but the gift of God is eternal life. And the question is, well, do the only the elect receive eternal life, correct? Well, then, I mean, are we saying that the unelect not only don't get death, which is what the punishment is, but they also get eternal life just in a tormented state? Mm-hmm. And just all these questions, I was realizing 
yeah, the, like it makes sense. And I'm not, I, I don't feel like I'm making contrived arguments for it. I, one of the things I do hate is contrived arguments and I, I don't want to hold to them and I don't want to advocate them. Okay. Well with that so, verse in Matthew there that mm-hmm. you're bringing up, that sounds very dichotomist. What about a trichotomist? How so? Well, they would make a distinction between the soul and the spirit. Okay. Okay. So the body can die, the soul can die, but the spirit cannot. Um, the spirit is the relational aspect to God. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Theology Pit. Do us a favor and check out our website at samsonstick.com. Tell us what you like or what you don't like and consider making a donation. Just send a buck to show your appreciation. It's more than just money. To us, it's an encouragement. Samsonstick.com. Thanks again. Now back to the show. The question I would have to ask is, well, twofold then, if we're talking about it being the, the relational aspect to God, uh, if the body and soul are dead, then what is that relational aspect? Like what, what that is, is with that? the spirit. The, the, the way, the way a trichotomist usually understands their anthropology uh-huh. is, um, the body is the corporeal, mm-hmm. the soul would be the, um, the immaterial. So your mind, your consciousness, mm-hmm. your emotions, mm-hmm. that relatability, that's mm-hmm. what they would say. That's what's in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And then the spirit is what is relatable to God. But if you're the wicked, are you at all relatable to God? In, in well, that's what they, and that's yeah. why they would have the eternal torment in hell because that cannot be destroyed. So that's obviously put somewhere. It still seems that the relatable is sort of like the wire on the telephone and there's no other end on the receiver. Okay. Does that make sense? No, but that's all right. So, okay. I, I, if I use, I'm understanding I use, you I use cell phones. I'm not old. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> um, so the way I understand it, if, if I'm understanding it correctly, is that there's the body and there's the soul and that's it's right here, like its own thing. Well, and the then connecting with it. But yeah, but the spirit is what connects to the triune God. Correct. So if there's nothing left on this end of that line, on the human end of that line, and all there is, is the connecting thing. Yes. Well, then I don't see how that, like, there's nothing left of, of there's no consciousness well, left if, or anything. I mean, you if, if you define that, you know, a person is all three of those parts. Uh which is why the resurrection would be necessary for judgment to occur because God doesn't judge part people or half people. He judges a whole person. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So they would say all three of those would then have to be there. But um, our, our souls, like your soul and my soul can relate to each other through Mm -hmm. agreement, through emotion, through, you know, that, that type of relationality. Mm -hmm. But uh, my spirit only relates to God in that, in that connective way the way a trichotomist does, that's how they, that's how they break it up. So when they come to passages like that, they mm-hmm. say, well, yes, body and soul mm-hmm. can be destroyed, which means you will never be a whole person again after judgment. But the spirit, your spiritual part is the eternal torment. Okay. Um, I mean, so, so, so what you have to do to, to, to counter that honestly is you have to go through the anthropology and I'm not going to go through the, anth- I, I don't want us to do that. Yeah. Cause that's, that's another thing. But what I'm saying is that when you come to a passage like that, mm-hmm. um, for somebody that is a trichotomist, that, that passage would not hold water for them. Well, I, I think it's sort of, at least from what you've told me, if I, if I understand correctly, it seems to do so because it does seem like you were saying that the whole of the person is judged. Mm-hmm. And just right. because the person is not, the, the spirit is not explicitly mentioned here. Are we saying that there's different types of judgment for the same? No, when, when they're made whole and what's destroyed is the body and the soul is destroyed, but the spirit mm-hmm. remains. And that is but, the eternal conscious torment. But isn't the judgment for the whole person? Yes. Yes. But the body and soul is destroyed after that judgment. But like if, if the body and soul are, if the body and soul being destroyed is part of the judgment, then why is the spirit not destroyed? Just because it doesn't explicitly say that here. Correct. I mean, yeah, but like, so there, because they therefore would it would be annihilation. That there is a, and in, there is a eternal aspect, a potentially eternal aspect to, uh, your spirit. Well, there's a potentially eternal aspect for our body and soul too. Well, not with the unbeliever. And with, with well, this, they it would, is potential still. They like, would say if God well, desired, if God desired, yeah, oh yeah, 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 but not, but not after that point. Once the body and soul are destroyed, that's where it ceases. 
to exist. So where and only the spirit exists? I'm just, I'm just, I'm yeah. Just so where does back the where a, does the consciousness reside within that? Understanding? Consciousness is in the in the soul. So then it's not, it's the not in eternal conscious torment. So yeah, but it's but they would say, well, it's sunlight. It's in there. See, I'm a I'm a Traducian. I'm just all I'm doing is I'm just I'm <laughs> yeah, just no. saying that when when you look at people's anthropology, because mm. there may be some people listening to say, well, I'm a trichotomist. You know, oh. I I don't. So what you're saying with with ten there, that doesn't prove anything. Uh, well, I mean, if I just to emphasize that part that we, we I just brought up, if there is if the consciousness resides within the soul. It's not eternal conscious torment then by that. Okay. So I it's mean, just an eternal just, torment. Then we're just sort of being arguing semantics then. Yeah. But it's, it's just an like, eternal torment. But it's just not conscious. Yeah, it's unconscious, which makes you happy. I Well, I mean, I, I it makes me like unwilling to debate further on that. You know, I mean, I, I guess technically you would say C.S. Lewis is that because he does sort of have this sort of degrading of dehumanizing of people in, in hell. Um, well, he's sort of got a lot of contradictory views of hell, but hey, he, if there's a lock on the door of hell, it's on the inside. It's on the inside. Yep. And it's a train state or bus too, you know, yeah. and it's very tiny, like within a blade of grass. But anyway, <laughs> just, no, I love the great divorce actually, to be honest. But I mean, Lewis kind of just threw everything out there, <laughs> like just everything yeah. he could. He, I don't know. In my opinion, he grabbed the theology that fit whatever point he was making yeah but it was still a fun read <laughs> yeah. all of his stuff is i mean he's he's, mm. he's very good at expressing and painting those word pictures and like you mm. read through like mere christianity or problem of pain oh, and you're like yeah. wow, wow what a good model yeah to like think about that that topic i mean he does yeah he does a good yeah. job with that his conclusions on the other hand eh, you know sometimes i don't i, I i'm just like i, I can't think know. of any particular one that i would necessarily be like that's a i disagree and it's a problem i guess maybe some of his eschatology because he does seem to be influenced by dualism too much. Yeah. In the I, sense of like, he, he has that famous saying of like, we are not, um, we are not bodies with souls. We are souls that happen to have bodies or something like that. I'm just like, yeah, that's uh, a little Gnostic. No, though, yeah. Right? You know, it's yeah. And I, I mean, uh, you know, I disagree with the soteriology in, in some of his works that he's done and, and that sort of thing. But this isn't a C.S. Lewis talk. No, it is not. So, so, okay. So uh, we go back there. So you're saying that, okay, for for you as mm-hmm. as I'm assuming a dichotomist, unless you're a Traducian. Um I go back and forth between monism and, and uh dichotomy. Okay. Dichotomism. All right. Um to. but but basically you would you would say that there is a um at least a material and material part of man yes. that is uniquely combined mm-hmm. that ten in uh, chapter ten in Matthew really hammers that home that hey, mm-hmm. we're this is expressing the completeness of man. That has been um, annihilated. Well, not necessarily just to allow Traducians to be in there as well. Um, but I mean, I do think it happens to say that. But like, I want to be able to say that you don't have to believe that in order to read this and understand it to be annihilation. No, no. But yeah. what you're doing is, is you're taking what the language here of body and soul. Which and, and, can and, be translated life as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're saying that what's being expressed here is the complete makeup of mankind. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Mm. So what makes, what makes somebody human? What is mankind that they're just saying it in a way that is expressing not just the phys- the material and not just the immaterial, but everything mm-hmm. that makes up. Okay. It's saying that whatever humanity, man or woman can do to the body, God will do to the wicked, both body and soul. Yeah. Which and is a completeness, which is yes. A okay. completeness. All right, so uh, and there are other passages. I mean, um, you know, I already brought up some of the other ones. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God's love of the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, not be tormented, but perish, but have eternal life. And the only, you know, semi-problematic ones are ones like in Re- Revelation, uh, as I said before. But Revelation itself is a highly symbolic uh, passage. One I, I or, or book, one I want to get to actually is uh, Revelation 21. I think it's 21. Um, it's towards the end there. Yeah. Yeah. It's the last, it's well, the, this it's is, the last book this is in the, the New one Testament, has, just so you know. Well, actually, this one has the Deuterocanon in it. So yeah, I saw I that. To. I saw that. And we, you know, <laughs> but that's all right. You know, um, that's just, just a bunch of unnecessary commentary. <laughs> Great stories. Tobin is it, amazing. It, it, uh, you know what? I, I read through like Bell and the Dragon. I was like, this is fun. It is. You know? oh, it, yeah. it is. Like it's, it's, it's clever. Um, uh, or is it 20? Chapter 20 or 21? Let me see. 
Um, okay, this always makes for really good radio. Oh, yeah, whenever, totally. whenever we have all this, well, maybe you'll have to get this one out. Let's see. Um, de- you'll definitely edit, not edit. No, this I will not. This is this is how it's going to sound. But he's he's looking okay. at, he's looking intently to find. Um, so, Revelation chapter twenty. Uh, I'll start with uh, verse eleven or verse twelve. Uh, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Also another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, by what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead in it, death and Hades gave up the dead in them, and all were judged by what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Um, earlier it talks about sort of the tormented part and, and everything. I, I don't remember exactly what passage it says, but we just for argument's sake, we agree that there are passages in revelation that seem to indicate torment Mm -hmm. people being tormented and all that. Um, Oh, it's verse nine uh, and 10. Uh, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That seems to be like a knockout one. But my point is that looking from verses 12 on to the rest of the chapter, I would say that it's actually arguing that, uh, that, that, image that 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 depiction that's being given to saint john is uh being interpreted as death and hades are being thrown into destruction and it says in verse 14 this is the second death the lake of fire uh saying you know this is the image that we're giving when we see this all the time in in daniel and we see it in revelation itself where there's a a a depiction a picture given and then it's being interpreted Mm -hmm. and so the interpretation is uh this is the second death. What I've just shown you is the second death. So okay. that's how we would look at passages like what we find in Revelation. Okay. And I see you have some other books open in front of us here um, too. Just, that to, you wanted to, just to say, I mean, if we we're going to go into purgatory, uh, we could do that. Yeah, because you brought up something and this is like Protestant purgatory that you're talking about. <laughs> Protestant uh, purgatory. I mean, well, basically, what, that's, that's what I'm thinking of it. I mean, it's not, you're not Roman Catholic. This is not the yeah. Roman Catholic understanding of purgatory. So the Roman Catholic understanding of purgatory and we we saw it within the uh, the catechism of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, we had that discussion earlier with a friend of ours. Um, it, it's very much a penal one where yes. it is uh, not for you're not paying for et- the eternal punishment like the the the, mortal. the punishment. It is it, it's the it's not the mortal one. It's the venial, it's the venial one. Sense. Yeah. So uh, you are going through purgatory purgation in Roman Catholic understanding. Uh, paying for the venial sins. That's not the view of the Eastern Orthodox. That's not the view of people like C.S. Lewis who held to this or Dr. Jerry Walls, who's a philosopher who sort of introduced me to this as well. Um, the view is it's sanctification and it's post-mortem sanctification. It's it's only for those who are already in Christ. Yeah. Um, and the idea is that it's very vague. We don't know exactly what's happening there but you are being purged of your uh, uncleanness and it will probably have some sort of degree of pain, but it's the pain that of, of being sanctified, which is what we sort of experience now. It's so fast now. It's like a car wash. You just kind of go through it. It's done. There are, there are all different. The length of time has varied through the years. Yeah, it doesn't. And I, I don't want to be dogmatic on it. My only position on that really that I'm, at all dogmatic on is that it's a post-mortem sanctification and I leave it at that. Okay. So with the view that you've uh, talked about before, that's not the Roman Catholic view. Mm -hmm. How does that differ? Of of purgation? Yeah. Oh, it doesn't. Oh, it doesn't. Yeah. So no, no, my view, I mean, uh, only insofar as any other view that besides of what I have espoused goes deeper into Mm -hmm. sort of dogmatic claims. Um, What's the, why is it necessary? What's the point of it? Well, I, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So we have to be fully sanctified. Okay. And I think unless you are a hardcore Calvinist, I don't see how you can, well, to be honest, even with Calvinism, uh, I don't see how if someone is not fully sanctified at death, okay. that we just sort of like let that. Describe happen. fully sanctified. Um, where there's no longer any sort of desire for sin. And we just purely desire to seek after God. Okay, so posse non peccari, possible not to sin. 
is it possible not to sin in this life? Is that what you're asking? This sanctification, full sanctification would be possible not to sin. Well, impossible to sin, maybe I would say. I'm, I'm not sure what you mean by possible not to sin. That it's that it's possible that you don't sin. Well, I mean, no matter what we believe, I think Christians How? in general believe that at some point that's we're going to be at a place where we don't sin anymore. Yeah. Okay. How is that different from, uh, do you have to get to that before glorification? I think that's the final state of glorification, like sanctification and glorification kind of melded, like sanctification leads into glorification. Is okay. All right. Yeah. So that's an interesting melding rather than a, you know, a, a differentiation between sanctification and glorification. Cause a lot of people would say glorification is at the resurrection. Okay. That that is when we get our glorified bodies, we're glorified. Um, I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to that. I, I um, that's why I'm very, very sort of agnostic on what that purgation is and how it works. Um, and but, the, I and the thing is, I but it's but it's it, but why is it necessary? That's that's what I'm, I'm not understanding. Well, in the sense that I mean, to, like back to the sort of Calvinist one, which tend to be the the, the reformed people tend to be most whatever about it. And I think I think kind of no matter what, you have to believe in it, like because we do have to believe that we are perfected uh, at glorification. And the debate is, it tends to be more semantic of just like, well, do you sort of personally experience that, that sanctification, that, you know, sort of quick sanctification thing. If you think it's a quick one, or if you think it's more of a process, I mean, it's a process either way. The question is like, what does that process look like? Usually people would understand sanctification as being within this life. And then, well done, my good and faithful servant, mm-hmm. stops at their glorification is then the, the resurrection. Well, the question there then is if it's only in this life, mm-hmm. then that's really bad because we have to be perfectly sanctified by the end of our lives then. Because if yes. no sanctification yeah. happens after after death, then if we are not perfectly sanctified at the end of our lives, we are not going to be with Christ Correct. because without yeah. holiness and that's where the holiness yeah. movement comes and all that stuff. And that's yeah. her- heretical, and, the extreme versions of it. And well, stuff. yeah. And, and well, that's why, you know, with my understanding of justification that no, you are justified. You okay. are perfect. You are even though you're sinless. Not. Yes. You are. Sin- it's an eternal declaration. Mm-hmm. It's done. Um, even though you're not Correct. Uh, that's see that 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 view I find kind of hard because um, it's see it, without being insulting it's it, it's almost like God is lying you know to himself um, and I think that if God is saying that you are righteous and you like that is a sanctifying act yeah, yeah. Um, what's well, a justifying act sanctifying would be the process well process I would say it's, yeah like well for, yeah. It, it's a justifying act but it's also a sanctifying act in the sense that but him declaring that makes where, it happen where I get that from uh-huh. is um, Romans chapter 4 verse 5 okay yeah if you want to yeah. go ahead and flip to it uh, you have one of those you know heretical Bibles so I don't know if it's gonna have this in it but <laughs> the RSV uh, is not heretical I love the RSV it's got too many books in it I'm looking at it and I'm saying that's that's way too thick, man. They're all you the end. You can pretend Baptist. it's not there. Uh, Romans 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 four, yep. uh, chapter five or verse five. Uh-huh. Okay, and go ahead and read it out of there. And to the one who does not work but trusts Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Okay, so what you have there is a description of God taking the ungodly mm-hmm. and declaring them to be righteous. Mm-hmm. Okay, God has an eternal declaration. Okay. When God says something, it happens. By God declaring things, mm-hmm. that is how the universe leapt into existence. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the point of John 1 that he's talking about with Christ uh-huh. being the word. I mean, this, this, this imagery. So this declaration aspect is very important. Now, an attribute of God mm-hmm. that we get within this is in verse 17. And I think it's verse 17b. So if you look at the second half of that. Uh, you want me to just read the entire, just in case? Because uh, I wouldn't know where you. Would be yeah, I'm okay. pretty. I'm pretty sure it's 17b. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom He believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Yes. Okay. So we have a God that declares things, and He also mm. His attribute is He calls things into existence mm. that do not already exist. Okay. Okay. So you can be declared just and righteous 
and perfect by God, but not yet has it occurred in your under based on your timeline. Well, I don't. Well, yeah, I don't see how it contradicts what I'm saying, though. Can you point? Well, out I'm just where? I'm just trying to push back against the uh, like a heretical bent that people may have against what I'm okay. what I'm postulating. Okay, and I'm saying that no, you are, and you can, and you definitely will be perfectly sinless and righteous, positionally righteous before God because of, and if we go to you know, Galatians 2.16, because of Christ's righteousness. Okay. It is that we are justified by his righteousness, and so it's a foreign righteousness that we have, and it's by his faithfulness. So if it's by his faithfulness, it's already been declared by God, it's already a done thing. Mm-hmm. But an attribute of God is 17b there. That he calls uh, into existence the things that do not exist? Well, yeah, no, no. Do. Yeah, so, I don't disagree with that. No. Yeah. So that's why, I mean, call it if you want like a sneaky way around it. Okay. But, you know, I, that, that's why I'm saying if that's an attribute of God and this is the way that he does things, then I don't think that there has to be this continuation post-mortem for sanctification. Okay. And to be honest, um, if you're looking at it from the, the eternal Mm-hmm. declaration aspect of it, we're sanctified right now. We are perfectly sanctified right now. And I know that there are some groups out mm-hmm. there that actually push that too far into the wrong direction as mm-hmm. us presently are, you know, mm-hmm. that we no longer sin. And even if you ask them, oh, did, do you sin? No, I make mistakes, but I don't sin. And, that's what I'm trying to fight and against. Yeah, and that's senses. with the, um, oh, what are, I'm trying to remember their name, but they, but they, but they fight Calvinism. They're like the post Calvinist group that is actually fighting on that because they would take passages of scripture and say, no, I am sanctified present. Mm-hmm. The sanctification is a process. So it's, it's difficult to use that word presently as a, a process. Well, it's, we have the phrase the already, but not yet. And that's yeah. what this is. Yeah. And so, and that's why, and I'm going to use a dirty word here on, on this podcast. And that is of, um, synergism. <gasps> and so when I say synergism, I, a lot of people don't like to hear that, Work but I'm like, your own salvation with fear and trouble. Yeah. But I'm <laughs> like, but, but I'm like, that's what this is. Mm-hmm. So we have the security that we are sanctified. We are justified. We are glorified. It's in that process. But at the same time, we are working out our salvation. It is us and God working together in the sanctification aspect. And I actually take it one step further. Mm-hmm. I say that this, the salvation, and this is really going to get heretical here, okay. that the mm-hmm. salvation of somebody is not uh, based solely or so much on your relationship with God, but the church's relationship to you. That the church is the body of Christ. The body of Christ has come to you and brought the gospel, mm. and it is through the work of Christ, through the work of the church, that you have been saved. That sounds very Catholic. It does. It does. I like that. But when you're, <laughs> but when you look at it from the invisible church aspect, mm. that it is not. A, a denomination, it is not a building, it is not a hierarchy of things, it is wherever the gospel is going, mm-hmm. and whoever has it, that that is the body of Christ, and it's moving that way. So my ecclesiology is very invisible church, okay. but there is this visible aspect of it that anybody that is within Christ is part of this church, and they can save people. Mm-hmm through the faithfulness of Christ by bringing the gospel. Well, to James that. talks about that. So yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, but this, but that's, that's an extremely harsh position for a Protestant to hear. It is. I uh, mean, they, you're, yeah. you're Anglo Catholic, so it's not that bad. You're like, hey, you know, I can, yeah. I can get on board with some of that. That's actually good. Yeah. But you know, but you talk to, look, tell your mom that. <laughs> All right. And then think about, think about that. Reaction. I love tormenting my mother yeah. with my theology. Yep. But, uh, and I've given you some good passages to, talk with her oh, about yeah, you know, yeah. stuff. But, uh, but so, so when I look at it and I, and, and so when I hear you say that, um, you know, sanctification mm. is, you know, uh, postmortem or that there is something mm. after that, that's where I start to say, well, how and, and why? So that's actually what I was about to ask you <laughs> in the other way. So the way I do theology is I, part of the way I do theology is, um, I don't sort of like these, uh, uh, deus ex machina sort of things. Um, Please use English for some of that stuff. <laughs> so that means God of the machine. Okay. Um, so it, without getting too much in the history, it's a sort of like, it's like a plot device where mm. it's just like, well, we need this to happen. So we're just going to sort of like push this little idea in right there to kind of fix everything up. And it's totally artificial, but you know, whatever. So, and the way I'm applying it here is we see sanctification being a process in this life. 
And like, it's not like if we believe that God could just snap his fingers and, and, and make us fully sanctified post death. Why not right now? You know, it it just doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I mean, I believe God is omnipotent, but I think that there are things that are just logically impossible that God can't do. So God can't create a square circle because it's just a lot that's nonsense words. So what, what I think of as sanctification is, um, uh, the problem I find, the logical problem I find with that, why I don't think that God can just snap his fingers and people are sort of quote instantly sanctified is that, uh, because we have free will and God can't force us to freely love him. What if you don't have free will? Um, how does that, I mean, how does that mess up your, does it mess up your, well, yeah, it does. Cause if, it, if we don't have free will, then it's like, well, then God could just snap his fingers, but then mm-hmm. there's just all sorts of problems with that. I don't think mm-hmm. you can have consciousness if you don't have free will. Okay. Because, well, what's the, the only way we experience consciousness yeah. is by making choices. And we'll have to have a discussion on free will sometime yeah. because I'm someone that doesn't believe we have free will. And in the libertarian but, sense, at least. Yeah. But, well, I'm, I'm somebody who says that we've never had free will and we will never have free will, that it is not even a part of our makeup. Well, so I go, I mean, so that's, that's going to be a very heretical another, talk. <laughs> well, well not to if, put you're, if you're saying, <laughs> if you're saying that you're going to be heretical before then I'll let we you, can I'll both let be you heretical. say that. We can but, both um, be heretical. <laughs> But, uh, but, but that, again, that's a, that's a whole, whole yeah, nother, another, that's a whole nother subject yeah. <laughs> there, whole nother talk. But, um, uh, what I would say is that, uh, the, one of the reasons why, for my position, why God couldn't just snap his fingers and just mm-hmm. make us immediately uh-huh. like sanctified and everything is because it had to come through, uh, humanity to fix this. And this is where I, I agree with Anselm and, and Crudeus mm-hmm. Homo and the way that he explained it there. Um, that the fact that this is a human problem that was caused by humans and it was humans' responsibility to fix it, and humans did fix it. That's why the incarnation happened. Christ being the human that did that, and it continues out through the human effort. Angels uh-huh. don't give the gospel. They, well, it, it, no, they don't. They do not. You look at, if you want to go to Acts chapter 10, the angel appeared to Cornelius. He could have told him the gospel. He could have given it to him. He said, no, send for Peter. What about the angels at the incarnation, the birth of Christ? They were not giving the um, the gospel, the good news of the resurrection. What is the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But they were giving the beginning of it by proclaiming the birth of the Messiah. Well, yeah, yeah. But they weren't telling them. They weren't giving the full yeah, gospel. Yeah, they, they weren't saying, hey, this is what, you know, however you want to understand this, this is what you need to believe to be saved. Oh, in, I wouldn't put salvation within the gospel. No. I would say salvation is a result of the gospel. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but but so the aspect of it is that the gospel yeah. is the good news is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Yes. And based off of that are the implications that we bring along yeah. with it. So that's the gospel. Um, but you know, the angel did not appear to Cornelius, who was a God fearer, somebody who had been justified by God, mm-hmm. and say to him, Jesus rose. The mm-hmm. Messiah came. Like that he didn't say anything. No, send for Peter. Okay. But it's not because the angel didn't know. It's that it's not his responsibility. He is not responsible. That angel is not responsible for the sin of mankind, nor for his salvation. So how would you deal with Galatians where he talks about uh, if we are an, or an angel, send, give another gospel, yeah. which implies that uh, it seems to imply, at least to me, that an angel could give the gospel. Well, if he's saying I th- that, you know, I, I honestly think that he's he's trying to appeal to a higher authority than himself for the Galatians uh-huh. to say, like, you know, you hold all these other people, all these other things in mm-hmm. maybe a higher esteem than me. So if someone else, even an angel, so it's sort of know, hyperbolic. So, yeah, it's like okay, it doesn't matter. You know, whoever sets foot because an angel is a messenger of God that would not mm-hmm. come and give a, a false thing. But he's saying, look, even if an angel did. Mm-hmm don't don't believe that and a lot of people don't take that seriously anyways i mm. mean you look at mormons how did they well how i was gonna bring start, up the mormons yeah you know, <laughs> um yeah or a lot of charismatics and and stuff and, yeah when, when yeah. anybody that has well our our religion our faith started because you know an angel appeared and gave us you know magic whatever, yeah. tablets that we use magic spectacles uh. to you know interpret the neo hieroglyphics and they're in upper dum, state dum, new dum, york dum, and dum, then dum. they disappeared and that just makes sense um that you know you would say hang on a second how does that yeah. not fit with that? So that's what I that's what I mean by that. So it's not saying that angels can or do or will. I think he's appealing to saying, "Look, I know what you're what you're thinking, but I'm trying to tell you. I don't care who it is. I don't care if they're a flipping angel." Yeah. Okay. You don't you don't believe. So this. I, one thing I do want to point out, but I just want to attack it because 
we won't be able to go into it because it's going to go into the free will debate. I, I find it hard to believe that with the understanding that there is no free will, free will, that this mess that we're in is the cause of humanity. Um, yeah. And that, that does get into yeah. uh, a, a big part of it. And that's, I mean, if we wanted to talk demonology, cause it's always something that I've kind of been interested in, but I've never delved into. Mm-hmm. And, and really the question of why Satan, why did Satan fall? No, why does Satan exist? That that's another topic that I'd that, love to get into. That is a huge because I've never really studied it. I've never really like looked, and I would like to spend time actually mm. digging into that and kind of because I mean I've I've heard like you go on the YouTube and you type that in, mm. and sometimes the answers that people give, even Frank Turek, what his answer was just so wishy washy. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I was like, that's that doesn't satisfy me. You know, I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's good in, in a big mm-hmm. like group or some type of talk or like a little sleight of hand, but, but it's like, I mean, it really comes down to the whole aspect of why the tree in the garden in the first place. May I give a, throw a little bit of a, a thing in there? Sure. I'm not sure that there's a single entity called Satan. I I don't part of that is my fear of this sort of cosmic dualism mm-hmm. idea where they're like, Oh, there's this ultimate enemy that, that, that Jesus is always having to fight and it's Satan. And this is really, he was once the greatest and most powerful of angels. I mean, that's all a lot later Yeah, yeah. in, in the history of the And then even, the even later he becomes his brother. Oh yeah. And no, I mean, that's just, just yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but you do have the aspect like, um, you know, the, uh, fasting in the wilderness and who was he talking with and what well, was he was talking with a, yeah, no, no, yeah, like there, there are entities. Yeah. I, like one way to look at it is but, like, but there's a title named Satan. Yeah. So but he is, he's is really personified in Job. Yeah. There, there is a, there is an accuser. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my whole point is that the, not that there is not a personified person. I'm saying, I don't think it's the same person throughout the entire history yeah. that we see called the accuser. I think it's more of like a title where it's just like, and part of that is um, more of my desire to get away from uh, this whole idea of like there being this one cosmic evil person sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, it's just way too dualistic, way too Zoroastrian for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I mean, that would be another, another topic, that would be whole another other, topic. Whole other thing. And it would be yeah. fun to, oh, yeah. you know, to, to definitely get into, but um, no, I think that you can not have free will because if you say that the, the, the point of having free will is the point of choice mm-hmm. in order. And that's, um, and I don't know if you're going this direction, but a lot of people say, well, that's how we love. That's how we can love God because you know, through our free will, through our decision making. That is a way, but my my argument is more negative because I okay. don't see how God is uh, is anything other than the author of sin. If okay. there is no free will, and the, the yeah. reason I maintain free will is that not because I want to be like oh autonomous man and all that stuff. It's because I find it impossible to avoid making God the author of sin. Okay, so you're saying that if free will is necessary. Uh, for man to have the responsibility of sin entering the of world. Of being the author of sin. Of being the author of sin. Yeah. Um, the first so, instigator So without sin. free will, if there was no free will, then there couldn't really be a true sin, authorial yeah. nature within man. So we always have to have the possibility of being sinful, even if you're not. Like God created man with free will, but not with sin, but with the potential for sin. Yes. Okay. So sin is what separates us from God. Yes. So when we can't be eternally saved because our glorification, we still have free will and therefore we could possibly theoretically sin and therefore fall away from God. Well, only in the logical possibility. Um, and I, I think that, uh, in a, a sort of, so there's things that are logically possible. It is logically possible for me to, uh, I'm going to get a little bit disgusting here to eat a pile of dog poo, you know? Um, that's not going to happen voluntarily for me. So it's a logical possibility, but once we, that's why the sanctification process is so important because once we get to the perfected sanctified state, the glorified state, we look at sin like eating dog poo. Okay. So it's a logical possibility, but it's not going to happen. And what that sounds like to me is that an aspect of our free will would need to be either stifled, blocked, or pushed to the side so that we wouldn't want to exercise that. No, because we're exercising our free will throughout all of that. 
Like I, so I wouldn't you know say I'm going to put a pin in this because okay, because this Sorry, is because yeah. we're starting to get into a topic where <laughs> yeah. it's like, boy, we need a whole a, a lot yeah, more yeah. time, and we're over time Sorry. as it is. But um, did you want to go anything on uh, through the articles of religion um, here, or any, mention well, any, mention any last things? Real so quick? purgatory, real quick in um, article twenty two, it says the Romish doctrine concerning purgatory, pardons, worshiping, and adoration, blah blah blah, all that. So I want to point out that. Uh, I'm not a 39 articles Anglican. Uh, there are like one or two that I have problems with. Let's see, 36 and a half. So like, yeah, 36 and a half or 37 or whatever. Um, but this one does not go against my beliefs because mm-hmm. it specifically mentions the Romish doctrine concerning purgatory. And I fully reject the Romish doctrine of purgatory. Um, and I've brought that up with a, a few people and they're like, oh, that makes sense now. Um, they let you stay in school. Yeah, they let me stay in school. I can't believe it's it. great. Um, and nothing I can think of in the creed, in the uh, articles or the creed or anything like that or the creeds, um, like uh, forces me to reject annihilationism. It just there, there's nothing there. That was just what I was going to bring up with like the articles and the the creeds and all. Okay. So insofar as I'm very much a an ecumenical councils guy. I still haven't settled whether I believe in four or seven ecumenical <laughs> councils. Still wrestling with all that You're not up to 13 or 14 oh yet, or nothing no. beyond seven <laughs> nothing at all beyond seven um but nothing within at least four and seven uh forces me to believe in eternal conscious torment or reject annihilationism so all right great. Uh, and obviously nothing within scripture yeah nothing i can think of all right, cool. Well, we're gonna we're gonna stop it here. Okay, brother James, thank you very much for being on the theology pit. We're definitely gonna have you back. Oh, well, thank We've you. We've got a couple more years together. In, oh yeah, in school totally. here, so we will be uh, hashing through this stuff. Did you want me and, to? Yeah, you oh. said that you are going to be having a podcast. That by announcing it here, it's going to force you to get on the ball. Well, this is the worldwide release, world, worldwide announcement release thing, whatever you want yeah. to call it. Um, I have a blog. It's called Barely Protestant because I am Protestant, but only barely. Um, and I just I, I I've realized that I probably want to turn it into a podcast. So I'm looking at making a podcast called Barely Protestant. And uh, part of me, with the onset of this recording, wants to now put this into like this weekend and, and have it record, have it have the first episode out uh, within the next week or two. Yeah, and this uh, is twenty eighteen. It's yeah, twenty eighteen. April twenty eighteen. April twenty eighteen. And, so, and so I am hoping, definitely by the end of the month, but hopefully within the next week or two, to have the first episode out. So give me a listen if you like me or hate me or couldn't care less. Do you have a topic yet for the first one? Um, it'll probably be an introduction topic just of who I am and what this will be about. So. All right, cool. Yeah. Well, hey, thank you very much for being on The Theology Pit. Thank you. I really loved it. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Theology Pit. Be sure to check out our website, samsonstick.com. You can email me, samson at samsonstick.com, or you can visit our Facebook page at uh, The Theology Pit. And now it is most definitely time to close down the pit. Thank you. Thank you.